Hello and welcome to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. Today on the show, I have two very special guests was able to get down to uh, the introductory press conference for both Jakob Pertl, who obviously needs no introduction here in Toronto. He's been here before. He's, he was here this year. He got re-signed at uh, four years, $80 million at the very, very beginning of free agency. So he was announced and unveiled to media uh, today. And then also Jalen McDaniels, who is the newest member of the Toronto Raptors coming in from Philadelphia by way of Charlotte, uh, was able to uh, land uh, one-on-one interviews uh, with both those players. So big thanks to, to Raptors PR for helping set that up. As always, um, very proud of the fact that, you know, we've had a lot of exclusive access here um, on this program. And I do feel like, uh, you know, it really allows, I think, this particular audience of the show um, and just, in, you know, just in general for people to understand uh, who these players are uh, a little bit better um, and sort of get their thoughts. Because I think in a press conference setting, it is just definitely a little bit more nerve wracking. It feels a lot more um, you're on the spot and you're against all these people looking at you expectantly and all these media like you just kind of climb up a little bit. But I think especially on a one more one on one setting when it's literally just me, my laptop. Uh, my Zoom recorder with two microphones like we're doing karaoke. Um, you know, it's it's a lot more chill and we can get into uh, those topics a little bit more. So first, I'm going to bring you the interview with the newest member of the Raptors, Jalen McDaniels. Uh, we spoke today uh, about a few hours ago now. And uh, then afterwards, we're going to take a quick break and we will come back with Toronto Raptors uh, center Jakob Proto as well. So thanks once again to Raptors PR for setting up these interviews. And without further ado, here is Jalen McDaniels. All right, we're down here at Scotiabank Arena, and I'm joined by the newest forward for the Toronto Raptors, Jalen McDaniels. First off, congratulations once again. I already said it to you in the press conference, yes, but sir. welcome to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, I hope this is the last media interview you got to do today. There's a lot. There's a lot you got to do. It is a lot, but you know, it's all good. Just accepting everything. Um, I'm enjoying it all, so it's all good. All right, that's that, that's good. That's good. You got to take it all in. You know, like it's. I think. Uh, it's all part of the job, even though I'm, I'm sure you just want to focus on just the actual basketball itself. Yeah, so I, I wanted to ask you, like, how was the free agency process for you? You know, like, um, I think the last couple of times you've gone around with this, you were a lot younger. You're yeah, coming into the league. You're drafted. So you don't have full control. Mm-hmm. This time you have a lot more say over sort of how it went. Yeah. And so I just wanted to ask you, like, how that was for you personally. Uh, honestly, um, I just let it happen. You know, I wasn't like trying to wasn't all in my agent's ear. Like, what, where am I going? Stuff like that. I just like. Like, we really didn't, nobody could really tell you anything until that day, you know, right. to get information. So, you know, they came back and, was like, Toronto is, like, one of the teams that's very interested in you. And, like, I was like, I'm down with that. Like, you yep. know, like, um, it's a team that I feel that I fit with versatility and everything the guys bring to the table. And I feel like I can do the same and, and more. So um, it was it was only right that I committed and signed the paper here. Uh, it just felt right. Right. If you don't mind me asking, like, what, what other teams were interested in you in this process? Oh man, um, uh, I can really tell. He told me there was a lot. I didn't really ask my agent honestly. I just got it over with. But okay, <laughs> he was just like, there was teams interested in you, but this this wasn't what we wanted. Like so, right. you know, Toronto they fully guaranteed me two years here, and uh, you know that's security for me. But also gives me confidence that they really want you here, of course, and of stuff course. like that. So it, it was like just a no brainer. Got you, got you. Well, listen, I, I wanted to. Um, Walk through a little bit in terms of your your career today to mm-hmm. get fans to sort of understand your your, yeah. your 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 journey in this league so far. So mm-hmm. um, you were selected 52nd Fact. in 2019 by the Hornets. I mean, getting picked so late. Tell me about that process. Like you're not, the night of. I just went through one of those draft days mm-hmm. covering the, the thing. It's like six hours. Yeah, so you, so you had like a take me through draft night, I guess. Draft night, very nerve wracking. Just didn't know what to expect, honestly. Um, See a lot of dudes going before me. I thought I was better than stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it was just real nerve wracking. Uh, start getting to the thirties, forties, then I'm like, all right, when is my name getting called? Yeah. So then finally, fifty two, Charlotte uh, drafts me. Um, get there, just have the little summer league workouts or whatever. Get to summer league. Don't really have like the best summer league like at all. Like I'm just like nervous a little bit just sure, like yeah, this yeah. is everything's just so new like I just didn't have the best you know uh best summer league honestly so went from there um they weren't really offering me like a deal or anything like that but like um 
they kind of was like, you can come here and show us, like you kind of earn it type deal. So like, okay, what does uh, that? Wait, hold on. What does that mean? That's that's not like a regular NBA nah, contract. I don't what even know that? if I can say it. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but pretty much, you know, they seen that I was there, uh, and I was pretty much growing there, like my body getting stronger, um, and I'm competing well with the guys. Uh, and like I'm showing that I can stick, so you know I'm showing that I can play with them and everything like that. So when it's time to like sign a deal, they wanted to sign me just based off what they seen and stuff like that, sure. and yeah. my potential. So yeah, well, you know that that first year with the Hornets, um, mm-hmm. I, I believe you were on a, were you on a two way? Um, no, nah, I never. So, I feel like they they like I was so reporting around this is weird. That's why I yeah, wanted to ask you. Yeah, yeah. see, that's why I'm like, uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was on a two-way. Then they just converted me to a contract. Like instantly? Yeah, instantly. Oh, okay. it just, I was never like on a two-way for like a couple of weeks. It was just like two-way contract. So got you, like, got yeah. you. Okay. Like they had to put me as a two-way then contract. I don't know how that works, but yeah. Right, I don't understand either. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that first year, though, I mean, mm-hmm. like most second-rounders, you guys yeah. spent some time in the G League, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. So like, what, was your, what was your mindset in the G League? Like, what were you trying to show and establish in your mm-hmm. first year? Um, you know, that I belong, that I can play with the top guys, you know, even though it's the G League, but there's still a lot of good players in the G League. You know, you still got to go hard every night. You will get exposed. So me just being, you know, me just going out there, being confident, playing 35 minutes a game, shooting a lot more, having the ball in my hands, it just gave me confidence. Like, I can play, like, I can do this in the NBA or not the G League. I can do this right. with the right. top guys too. So, you know, uh, the next year, um, did the same thing, playing the G League, uh, some more and then I think you're only down there for two years the next the two games the yeah, next year. T- yeah yeah but it was the bubble though so I was there for like oh, three weeks right, before right. playing those two games so it was like so yeah played the two games and ever since then I've been stuck stuck in the league so um just like a lot of hard work just a lot of self-belief a lot of grind you know so that's just who I am always so. I feel like for for young players like mm-hmm. you you kind of always have to show your coaches like this is what I'm about. This yeah, is what I'm. Sure. This is like the one thing that I do. These are the kind of things you can count on me every single mm-hmm. time, and that's what builds the trust for the coaches to play sure. you consistently. Yeah. So, what was that thing that kind of got you into the blue books when you first, you know, established yourself mm-hmm. as an NBA player? Um, you know, just just going out there and just playing with the highest motor, running the floor, just doing all the little things. You know, not even worried about scoring and stuff like that. Um, just playing defense, like, and uh, it just like. Every time I do that, like, just play with a high motor and don't even worry about scoring. The ball just finds me. I make the right plays. Um, and that's what was going on. So the few games, like, I came up, I had, like, a few, like, 10-point, 11-point games. But yeah. they were, like, it was solid games. Though. I played well. So coach started to believe in me, like, okay, Jalen can really – he can really stick. Uh, he can play. So right. he can count on me for – I can guard the best player. He can count on me, to throw me in there. So I feel like that's how I gained his trust. Yeah, you've always been, like – just really versatile player, mm-hmm. right? I think I was even reading an interview with um, your, your one of your like high school coaches, mm-hmm. uh, Jerome Collins. He said yeah. you could basically play all five positions. Mm-hmm. So that's always been one mm-hmm. of those things. But do you almost have to be a little cognizant as as a pro? Like you know, you want to distinguish yourself. Like I can do this, this, and this, mm-hmm. rather than like I can do a little bit of everything. Sort of jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. Do uh-huh. you ever have to sort of focus on sort of like that one calling card or not? Um, one calling card is I'm gonna play defense no matter what. I'm gonna compete. Okay. So that's from coaches know I'm gonna compete like like it's the end like so yeah, yeah, just yeah. playing defense so that's what I say like they calling me for that uh defending high motor yeah. hitting open shots uh, making the right play so well I mean I, I can only imagine you and your brother just just two guys yeah, guarding play. each other like crazy so um yeah I mean obviously he's had a lot of success obviously in Minnesota mm-hmm. as well um, so th- this past season, you, you averaged the most minutes of your career. You mm-hmm. posted career highs across the board. Like, how satisfied were you personally in your progress, knowing mm-hmm. that it's a contract year for you and mm-hmm. things are really working out? Um, you know, it was just I was trying to lead it out of my head, you know, but course, just going out there uh, and just doing me, just what I've always been doing, just what I've been about, like just extra work, you know. Um, 82 games is a long season. Like, of course, I had bad games, but I feel like I overcame that and just uh, – Kind of just showed everybody what I'm capable of, and then when I got traded, just was on a winning team. Um, I showed that I could play on a winning team, make plays, and uh, be a part of a winning team. Honestly, right, right, right. So get over to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, Philly really invested, I think, a lot into you. Right, yeah. they, they, they really developed a guy like Matisse Thybul, for mm-hmm. example, a guy who's played in their playoff rotation, all that kind of stuff. Thanks. And they bring you in, probably kind of to serve a similar role, mm-hmm. but maybe even with a little bit more offensive pop yeah, as well. Sure. Um, 
how do you think that experience went in, in Philadelphia and sort of like what do you what do you think you took out of that whole thing? Um, it was smooth, honestly, playing with James, Joel, Tobias, you know, like that I can be on the floor with players like them, like and I can still be contributing with them on the floor and like playing off them. So I feel like it just added more to my game. Like uh, you can throw me with guys like them and I'll be solid. So uh, that whole stint was it was good, you know. Uh, being on a winning team, some games, you know, the top guys didn't play, so I got a little more leeway. So I felt like that led the coaches and everyone see like, oh, Jalen can handle the ball. He can do this. He can, you feel me? He can do a little more than what we've seen because who's on the court. But I feel like, you know, um, it was a real good experience for me. I learned a lot, you know, got the experience of playoffs for the first time. And, you know, it was just a great experience overall. For yeah, for sure. Now, um, I want to ask, because you, you talked about that, that one calling cards that that mm-hmm. defensive end, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm looking at some of the metrics, and mm-hmm. like you're one of those guys that genuinely pops up in terms of like most switchable defenders, mm-hmm. right? You spend most time guarding each position, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you, like, is there one position you love to guard the most, or one position you you hate to guard the most too? Uh, one position I like to guard, I would say like like more like small forwards. Okay. I mean, it's the hardest. Like, like size, like size, yeah. you know. Um, guards like shooters like you know chasing that's that's kind of my thing yeah. um gets me going but the ones that i hate sometimes would be the little guards they'd be like trying to right, they'd be right. doing a lot with that ball they'd be dribbling a whole lot crossing yeah. over this way that way but you know like um this is part of my development containing them guys you know i have and i know i can so uh but yeah yeah they would be my least favorite though <laughs> all right and then last one because Again, like the, the stats say you've essentially spent like 20% of your time guarding point guards, mm-hmm. 20% was shooting guards, et cetera, et cetera. Can you give me the hardest guy you've had to guard at each position across the board? Okay, point guard, Steph Curry. Yeah. A million no, wait, screens. Wait, 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 whoa, 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 hold on. I'm going to say, Cole, uh, no, Kyrie Irving. Okay. Kyrie Irving. Right, I'm just sorry because he has that ball and he's doing a lot with it. You right, know right, what I'm right. saying? Yeah. The shooting guard. Um, shooting guard. Shooting hard, Clay Thompson, because he's running everywhere like nonstop. Like yeah. he'll stop and like make you look that way, and he's the other way, so that's annoying. Three small forward, Kawhi definitely. Why Kawhi? Because obviously you got his number here in yeah. Toronto too. So well, like he doesn't do too much. Like he's gonna hit. Like it's like nothing you can do at like some points. Like right, he's right. gonna jab, shot fake. Like but he, and you're there, he's still gonna make the shot. So right. this is like kind of annoying. And he's strong. Yeah, he's he- like, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're getting out the way for sure. Yeah. He hits you moving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, All right, power forward. Power forward. I feel like power forwards don't even exist anymore, yeah, but, like, you know, those are the positions we like. Power forward. S- still remember, so. Damn, I don't even know. Power forward. Who's another power Probably, he's, like, Zion or something, because he's hella oh, strong. He's just yeah, strong. Yeah. I played against him, like, twice. And, like, yeah, Jaron Jackson, seven he's foot. Tough. He's tough. Tough. So, guys like them. Uh, centers. I don't really know no, the centers I have to guard. Um... Vucevic. Vucevic, okay. Underrated. Underrated. Because um, he can stop, pop. You don't, he's, He wants to shoot the three, but he can also get to his spots off the dribble. So it's just uncommon for a big man that size to be moving like that and can shoot like that. So that was a little challenging right there. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'll say them guys. All right, cool. Well, Jalen, um, welcome to Toronto. You're going to be guarding a lot of those same guys. Man, so, thanks. Uh, you know. <laughs> Embrace the challenge, but seriously, sure. congratulations. It's a big yeah. contract. It's a big deal for you and your sure. family. And, uh, you know, best of luck in, in Toronto. Yes, right? sir. Thank you, bro. Right. That was an interview with Jalen McDaniels of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, be good to welcome him to the team. We'll have our first look at him, I suppose, in training camp. And so, um, you know, him joining the team, I think, at, what, two years, $9 million, uh, what, at the biennial exception, Makes complete sense. I think to me, um, it's it's good value for a player who's shown a lot of uh, progress in his career. Um, obviously, had to work really hard to go from the 52nd pick um, through the G League now up to a point where he can get signed. Um, and even though it's not the biggest deal, I think it's still fairly significant. I think the Raptors have had real interest in Jalen for a couple of years. Um, I believe I saw that in Hoops Hype that uh, you know the Raptors had tried to trade for Jalen at various points over the last couple of years and. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it. you could see why. I mean, he, he is Vision 6'9". Like, he's another one of these type of players. And I do think that, okay, so you might have a bit of t- too much of the same thing um, coming off the bench. You, you might even have too much of the same thing in the starting lineup. But I do think that if if I were looking to operate in this situation, I think I would try to turn one of my wings into a guard. 
And I know typically right now the league is trading from guards to wings, but I think for just roster balance, uh, bringing in Dennis as a backup point guard is going to be good. He's going to have to play, but I think I'm, I'm also going to need a little bit more shooting, a little bit more ball handling coming off the bench as well. And so if you're able to look at contracts like Thad Young, like Chris Boucher, I would say maybe even Precious, but realistically, I think Masai loves Precious. Don't think Precious is going to get moved. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think they could use one more, uh, or even Otto Porter. You, you turn all any of those guys into another guy who can shoot more, who can a little bit more healthier, can a little handle the ball a little bit more. Uh, I would love to see that just for the for the overall balance of the roster. But I, I do think Jalen is going to be a guy that fits in with the Raptors. I think his skill set again matches a lot more of the same guys. Like it's going to be like the Spider Man pointing meme in the locker room once again. And um, yeah, I think for Jalen's sake, I, I hope him that he's able to acclimate well and, and find his spot in the league. I think he's got the talent to definitely um, do well in the league. And, you know, he's he's shown it in Charlotte. I honestly, with all due respect to Charlotte, and I didn't want to say this to him, Charlotte has been such a poor situation um, for pretty much three decades now that, like, you know, I, I can't fully say just on face value that him doing well in a losing situation like that is going to poured over to Toronto, where even if you say, look, the Raptors weren't winning much at this season either. Honestly, 500 is like one of the top five Charlotte Hornets seasons, I think, in the last 20 years, like just be 500 alone. So like you. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to see it here as well, but uh, I think he has all the tools and um, yeah, you know, good, good luck to, to Jalen. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will talk to uh, Raptor Center Jakobertl. Welcome back to the Raptor Show. So for the second half here, uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to first bring you our interview uh, one-on-one with Jakob Pertl. We talked about him resigning and sort of sort of how the new team will look. And then afterwards, I want to do sort of a little bit of a debrief and just give my personal thoughts on this latest article by Michael Grange, which is really great up at sportsnet.ca. If you haven't seen it already, go look at it. Details a lot of the things that sort of went wrong with the Raptors this year. I think most interestingly in terms of some of the divides that took place in the locker room and all, overall the absence of leadership. So I'm going to share some thoughts on that. Uh, but first, here is Raptor center, Jakob Pertl. All right, we're here at Scotiabank Arena with Jakob Pertl. Welcome back to Toronto. I know, um, you know, obviously when you were traded back here midseason, this is a strong possibility. So I want to get your feelings right now. Like, how are you feeling about, you know, being back officially? I'm feeling great about it. Uh, yeah, like you said, um, there was a strong possibility of me coming back even after the season um, I knew that Toronto was sort of my number one option. Um, so it was really just about figuring out the details, maybe um, checking out the, my, my standing in the NBA. Um, but yeah, I, I think this was always the most likely option. And I'm happy it turned out this way. Right. You know, there was not that much drama. It felt like 6.05 or something like that. It was already announced that you were coming back. Uh, did you not want to get wine and dine? And, you, know, it's, you, know, you only got so many chances to be a free agent. Uh, I guess so, yes. But... Uh, Really, like, I, I enjoy the basketball part of basketball and not so much the business part. I, I know <laughs> yeah. it's, it's part of it. Uh, so for me, it wasn't something that I wanted to drag out. Uh, I knew if I, if I had an offer I, I liked, if I had, a, a, like, a, a deal, a situation that I enjoyed, that I was going to try and go with it. So, uh, yeah, that ended up being the case. So I didn't want to drag it out. I just wanted to make my decision and be done with it. That's fair. That's fair. Now, um, if I'm getting my timeline correct, were you at a wedding the day of free agency? Uh, yes, I was at a wedding. I was at a basketball wedding, actually. So yeah, was, yeah, with Trey Jones, right? Yes, with, uh, uh, there, there was a bunch of uh, free agency news uh, <laughs> announcements, like during. I mean, thankfully not during the wedding. It was uh, yeah. like during the reception, but but still, like um, people kept getting announced and like congratulations were getting thrown around and stuff. It was it was pretty funny. Got you, got you. I mean, you know that that is that is uh, that's really funny. It's really clear that you still have a lot of ties to those Spurs teammates. Got some real camaraderie. I saw another former teammate, um, Derek White, was there as well. Yeah. I gotta ask you, um, when you saw the new haircut, what, what was your first reaction? <laughs> I loved it. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. I mean, it, it caught me off guard a little bit. Like, sure. Um, I was I was in Denver with him actually uh, a couple of days before the wedding. Okay. Um, 
and he was wearing a hat um, when I first saw him, and he took it off randomly. Like I don't think he even thought about it twice. It's kind of caught me off guard. But uh -huh, uh -huh. I think he's rocking the bald lifestyle. Like uh, I think uh, I could support it. Yeah, it's good. I mean, he he did unfortunately get the the, the Charles and Shaq uh, treatment on TNT. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Well, yeah. So you're at this wedding. You know, it's announced you're signing back in Toronto for four years. Trey Jones, who's getting married, also gets announced that he's getting resign in San Antonio for two years. It, it's got to be a great night for you guys. It's got to be like a legendary night, really. When well, you think it, was, about it. it was an amazing night, yeah. I mean, especially for Trey, obviously. Like, sure, uh, yeah. It was it's probably, uh, I mean, it was definitely a night to remember for him. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun. It was fun seeing all the, the guys again from San Antonio. There's a, a bunch of teammates that I've had over the years that, uh, you know, it's it's tough to keep in touch over the uh, during the season, so it's nice to right. get together in the offseason and, and being able to spend some time together. Right. Um, now, I wanted to ask, um, so you, you mentioned that you had talked a little bit with, with Darko. It's, I'm sure mm -hmm. the conversation wasn't like, here's how we're going to use you in all these tactical places just yet. It's probably just like, hey, I'm your new coach, and I'm looking forward to working together and all that kind of stuff. Um, how do you think things will sort of change you know, with a new coach, right? You, you, obviously, you were familiar with Nick, having worked with him as an assistant, you know, the first time you were a Raptor, then this past season as well. With Coach Darko coming in, what's your sort of initial vibe in terms of sort of what he's going to be like to work with? Um, good question. I think, I think these type of conversations are going to going to pick up now. Now that it's official that I'm going to be back as a Raptor, like there was there was some some conversation beforehand, but um, I was I was still a free agent at that point, so we didn't really get into details. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. He's uh, he's a young coach. Seems like he has some 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 good ideas. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah, um, I'm really just looking forward to finding out more about it. Uh, right. Um, now, obviously, there's going to be a new point guard that you're playing with, right, because it's no longer going to be Fred. You talked about how much Fred helped your career. Mm -hmm. I think this past season, I think when you joined the Raptors, Fred had the most assists to you. You guys obviously had a really great pick-and-roll pairing. How's that going to change a little bit playing with guys like Dennis Schroeder, um, who – you know, I suppose you guys have a... Is there a friendly robbery between Germany and, and Austria? <laughs> I guess there bit. is. Uh, yeah. not, not so much when we come over here uh, to the U.S. I fair, think, fair, fair. I think Austrians that stay in, in Austria and Germans that stay in Germany, there's a little bit more of a rivalry. Uh, I think it's I think it's still going to be good. He's he's obviously a very experienced point guard. He's a, a point guard that can, can read the play very well. I, I think he's going to be very good for me. Like uh, us working together in pick and rolls is going to work real, really well. And... Yeah, um, hopefully we can we can build that chemistry, um, especially with with some time now with, with timing training camp, timing preseason, um, to before the season even gets going. Right, right. I, I think another point guard that you're going to be playing with a lot, and, and you've already got a little bit of that this past season with, with Scotty. Scotty's going to probably take on more primary ball handling responsibilities. How do you think it's going to be a little bit different in terms of playing with sort of a, a, a bigger point guard, a big wing? Maybe not as good of a shooter as, as Fred, but at the same time has other ways to deliver you the ball. Have you thought about sort of how that might work? I mean, it's it's just a, a different play style, different mindset. Like um, you you gotta treat pick and roll uh, with different players uh, differently. So it's 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 not something I'm I'm not used to. I've uh, played with with guys like him, like the lesser shooting point guards in, in San Antonio as well. Sure. Like. Uh, I've played um, plenty of pick and rolls in my life with with Demar, um, where he's he's a guy that guys tend to go under on. Uh, and I think what's great about Scotty is that he he's also like, especially considering like how little experience he still has in the NBA. Like he's really good at, at reading the play. Like he's a it's almost like a pass first forward. Um, mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, so I'm I'm really confident about that, and I think the relationship's going to work out well. Right. Um, I think going back to Coach Darko, one of the things that, uh, you know, he talked about was sort of wanting to play point five basketball. And obviously you're very familiar with point five basketball. It originated in San Antonio. So you're pretty experienced with it. To the, to the, to the listeners, um, what is point five basketball as someone who plays it a lot? Um, I mean, for me personally, it's, I think it's a great style, style of play basketball. It's really just about, like, not holding the ball in your hands for, for longer than 0.5 seconds. So, like, quick decision-making. Um, it's a lot about playing together. It's a lot about team basketball. Uh, and, yeah, I think we really got a roster to make the most, uh, most out of that. Um, I, I really enjoyed playing that way in, in, in Toronto. Uh, not in Toronto, in, in San Antonio. Um, and, yeah, uh, if that's his plan, I think that, that will work really well for us. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, I'm curious to know in terms of the way – 
Coach uh, Greg Popovich implemented with you guys, how did he teach it? Like, what were some of the things that he got you guys to do in terms of encouraging that ball movement, encouraging that snap quick decision making? And also, if you didn't do it, what's sort of like the discouragement or punishment almost? Um, I mean, it was just a, f- a matter of constantly going over it, like um, during training camp, just constantly like um, doing five on zero, like um, moving the ball around in the half court, like it's just nobody was holding the ball, like. Even even during scrimmages and stuff like that, he would he would stop to play on a regular. Like if somebody like, I mean, I guess you, you can't always move the ball right away. There are situations where yeah, you're gonna course. have to get into ISO situations. But like, um, if somebody broke the flow of the offense, I guess um, he would stop play. He would get on us. Like you take you out of the game during games. Like okay. the, I mean, there's there's the pop man, uh, the pop way of doing things was was definitely. Um, uh, one of a kind, um, but it, it worked really well for us. It really got everybody dialed into that style of play, and, and I think um, we definitely got the the guys on this team that can that can really buy into that as well. Right, for sure. Now, I just want to ask you a couple more questions. Um, you know, I think with the Raptors drafting Grady Dick as a shooter, right? Um, definitely a movement shooter. Definitely a guy who knows how to cut and move without the ball. You as somebody who's a really good screener, you as somebody who can really pass as well. Seems like one of the big things will be, can you guys develop that chemistry to pop a shooter like that open? At the same time, he's really young, right? He's mm-hmm. literally like, I think he's born in 2003, if you can believe that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of makes you, it makes you feel like a grandpa. But um, yeah, I mean, what kind of things can you sort of give him in terms of tips as to how to get a young shooter like that open and get them shots? I mean, I, th- I think just letting, letting the game come to him is, is one of the biggest things. Like, uh, I know he'll find his role here. Like, I know he's really going to help us as well. Like, um, we need guys that can space out the floor. We need guys like him that can can then take advantage of that space, like cutting behind defenses, like like you said earlier. Like we we benefited a lot from from cuts, back screens, backdoor cuts, stuff like that in the in the past season. So if he can slot in there and like um, help us improve in that that fact even uh, further, uh, I think that's going to be really good. Uh, so yeah, just kind of figuring out his, his role, like figuring out his play style in the NBA. I know it's, it's not the same as college, so like people are going to have to make some adjustments as well. Um, I think that's going to be big for him. All right. And the last question I just got uh, in terms of, you know, you continue this relationship with Pascal Siakam, a, a, a close friend of yours. Um, obviously, his name comes up in trade rumors. So it's something you can really do to control any of that. I think it just says that he's a very valued player in the league. But how much are you looking forward to continuing that progress with him? Oh, of course. I'm... I'm Looking forward to it a lot. Uh, I think uh, coming back last season, that was, that was one of the things I, I was most looking forward to is, is being able to be out there on the court with Pascal again. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, for the rest of the offseason. Like, I, I know it's the NBA. You really can't be sure who you're playing with until uh, the season really starts. Um, and, and then we'll, we'll hopefully still have a, a, a team together where, where I know some of these guys. And, um, uh, yeah, uh, I think then we're going to have a good season. Did he say uh, dinner on you next time with the new contract or what? <laughs> Not yet, but I'm sure he will. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Jakob. Welcome Thank back. Thank you. That was our interview with Toronto Raptors center Jakob Pertl. So, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, I, I think Jakob, first off, you're going to be hearing from him a lot more, um, you know, with, with Fred leaving the team. And I think that's news that I think was a little bit surprising, I think, to Jakob Pertl. I, I did think that his expectation – upon coming back to Toronto, was that he'd be continuing to play with both Fred and Pascal. And Fred is definitely gone. Pascal is already a question as to sort of when or not he's going to go. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually share a little bit of news on that as well. But I, I think, you know, that was his expectation coming back. Um, but then again, it's one of those things where the timeline itself um, can get a little tricky, right? Free agency begins. Um, Yak signs in Toronto. He was actually the first one to... To, to, to commit and make his decision. And then obviously Fred took his meetings and, you know, um, he had a much stronger competing offer. Like, I don't think there was any stronger offer out there for Jacoperto. And so it made more sense for him to take the money and, and stay here in a franchise he knows and he's, he's familiar with. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it was a bit of a surprise. I think that's probably why I wanted to dig more into the idea of how he's going to form some more pick and roll partnership, how he's going to be used in different ways on offense um, definitely like the, you know, the way he talked about, you know, the Spurs and how they orchestrated the 0.5 offense. That's something that Darko really wants to bring here to Toronto. And, um, you know, obviously who better to ask than someone from San Antonio, who's got that direct kind of teaching from pop. So, uh, I mean, look, listen, I, I think Jakob's going to be 
talk to a lot more realistically you know in terms of players requested you know to come to the podium by by the press and typically i'm not involved in this process because post game i'm always just recording the show rather than um you know going down to the press room and talking to players if you notice i'm never in any of those uh post game press conferences it's just yeah again they literally happen simultaneously so i cannot be in two places at once but typically i know for practice for which which i'm there a lot more for those um, for practice, typically, you know, um, you know, PR will come over and say, okay, who do you guys want to talk to? And whether that's guys coming off of a great game or guys in the news or, you know, wh- whoever, you know, I, you know, obviously the, the press definitely like to request Fred cause he's a really open and, 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 and good speaker. Um, you know, typically that's the process. And I think that, uh, with Fred leaving, he was definitely like the go-to guy in terms of who, most of the core press reporters would like to request. Um, and so I think Yak will probably take up a lot more speaking opportunities. I, I like speaking to Yak personally. Um, definitely a very chill, no-nonsense kind of dude. Um, thoughtful, I think, whenever you ask him questions, he he does actually take time to sort of process what I'm trying to ask and sort of answer in a way that's, in, in a way that's thoughtful. Um, you know, I, I think it's... Like, I, I don't think doing media is like even in the top 100 things that Yak likes about playing basketball or play or bringing the media. It's probably like that for 99% of players in this league. They don't really like, like to do the media aspect. Um, but I appreciate the fact that Yak actually always sort of thinks through his answers and, 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 and tries to not be like insightful for the sake of giving information, but insightful for the sake of like being useful uh, with what he says. So definitely appreciate that. We'll definitely hear from Yak a lot more throughout the season. I'm sure he'll, He'll love that. I'm sure he'll definitely love that. Um, but I also think that, like, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it is going to be interesting, right? Um, you know, he admitted that because um, we were asked him outright at the press conference, like, you know, do you did you get interest from San Antonio to return? And he talked about it as like, uh, look, listen, you know, I had a great time in San Antonio. San Antonio had, really liked having me in their program. And there was always that understanding that, like, you know, um, this could not not like renew itself, but also at the same time, it's like when both sides had a really great experience with it, you know, you could see an opportunity to sort of link up once again. Now, I would say he probably had the same thing to say about Toronto. And ultimately, he started in Toronto, went to San uh, Antonio via trade, and then came back to Toronto via trade, and now he's here. But uh, it was interesting to think about that. Obviously, he was at that wedding, which I think is just so funny. I mean, obviously, you can't necessarily plan for all of it. But at the same time, you know when free agency begins, it's... Uh, July 30th and to, to schedule an NBA, a, a wedding with several NBA players in that exact time is, is kind of wild. But then again, I mean, obviously there's the most important thing is just being there to celebrate, you know, um, love first and foremost. But yeah, I'm sure it was been a weird experience for guys to sort of be looking at their phones like that during, um, during the reception um, and, and seeing some news break. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that Yak got his money and I'm, I'm happy that Trey, uh, Trey Jones got his money as well. So you got married at 20 million on the same day. That's uh, that's pretty lit. So but uh, yeah, I mean, so he, he talked about that. I mean, I, I think the expectation is to continue playing with Pascal. That's why I tossed in the question at the end there. I definitely wanted to get his thoughts on the record. I mean, obviously, I know he's close with Pascal, but I know he was, what he was going to say about the whole situation. Um, but you do see Pascal's name in the rumors continuously. And, um, you know, we had Michael Grange on to talk about it earlier this week. So if you haven't already, you can check out uh, what he said on this subject on Monday's episode. But I also think that, you know, there's been more reporting since then. I think first off, Grange has really been um, on the ball on this one. Like there's, there's a lot of um, reporting that he's really brought to the situation. He even revealed that, um, you know, this season there was sort of this rift between, um, the veteran players trying to lead uh, the younger players and that being a bit of a disconnect in terms of whether the veterans weren't leading in the right way or whether the, the young guys weren't really willing to listen. Regardless, the end result is there w- just wasn't much cohesion with the group. And, um, you know, I, I actually, um, I, I don't know. I, I Sometimes I try to like hint at a couple things on the show because, you know, for me personally, uh, unless I have the ability to speak directly with both sides of the, of the parties and come through with like a, this is the whole situation. And, and, and I could say that this party told me this and this party told me this, I, I'm not in the, the, the press reporting game like that. Um, it's a personal preference of mine. Uh, it's not something that, you know, um, I, I just, I don't know. It feels to me like 
that that doesn't feel like that's part of my job or that's not something that I really actively want to do. Now, I think for a lot of people, they might say, why, why not? Why is that not part of your job? Number one, I just don't really fundamentally see, I, I had a whole rant about this, like probably two weeks ago, about like, what is the point of all these trade rumors? Um, you know, it, it's just sort of like gets you to, I don't know, it, it, I don't say it dehumanizes the players in that way, but what I think what it does is sort of like gets you to get tired of players much quicker than I think you typically would if you were just able to enjoy them without the the constant sort of how much I value this guy, how much I don't value this guy, what what I value this guy relative to another guy. Like it just sort of like, you know, it, it takes away, I think, the, the from the focus on them just being basketball players and sort of enjoying the players on the court. But I totally understand, like that's something that I have to do um, as part of this, the, the job. And also part of it is, um, this is the part of the enjoyment of basketball in general. So especially in, in, in today's age. So I, I understand it, but personally, I, I don't want to be one of those people that ends up like, Hey, this is my handle. This is, it ends up on some weird news aggregator, whether that's like a website or even nowadays, just increasingly just a social graphic or even just a tweet itself, take out all the context. Now all of a sudden it's sort of like, I'm driving these, uh, these ideas around different people definitely don't want to be part of that. Um, and so professionally, that's part of my reasoning for it. But again, like, you know, just to go back to the whole idea with before I sort of went on this tangent. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, you know, I remember several shows where I would hop on with Alex or with whoever, and we just kind of talk about like, you know, the vibes in that room are not great. Like, and, and that's whether that's people going in there post game and, um, you know, I didn't do that that much. I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not part of the post game press conferences that often because I'm, almost always doing the reaction podcast at that exact time while the lockers are open and while, the, while they're speaking to, to the media. But even when you hear through different people, right. Um, uh, that are linked to the players or linked to the coaches, like the reporting that, or the sense that you would get was sort of just like, yeah, like it's, it's, I described it in the previous shows, like really quiet bus rides, um, really quiet plane rides a lot of the time, um, you know, game after games, like, you know, you, you would see the veterans like really fuming, um, but the, the, the younger players really quiet and almost sort of just like not even bothered by like a really close loss or another blown fourth quarter lead. And, you know, um, you know, at, at certain points you had not like formal trade requests, but like even guys sort of like grumbling about, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. All this other kind of stuff. Like, again, please do not aggregate this. I swear to God, do not aggregate this. But like and I do not and I don't think the reporting is even strong enough for me to even um put it out there in that sense. But I'm just saying like from the things that you hear, like that's sort of the stuff that was going on. Like it wasn't a great situation around the team. I think the best word that sort of came through with this and sort of the buzzword that we came through with this was sort of just like vibes was, was the vibe around the team. Wasn't that most ideal. Um, but yeah, like it, it's, that's, that's sort of the sense that we kind of got. And I think that Grange, you know, reported it out there, which was good. I'm sure he, again, he checked in with both sides on something like that, where he, and he talked about sort of, you know, the rift and, and listen, I, I don't even think it's a situation where you got to pick a side, like, oh, I'm going to back the young guys. Or I'm going to back the veterans. Like, I think there's fault to go around on both sides. And, you know, I think uh, in terms of just the players themselves, like you can always say as the veterans of the team, you should know better or you should, that you know, whatever it is, you have to find a way to reach the younger guys. Honestly, I think for a lot of them, they're, 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 I'm not saying they don't see themselves as vets, but like this is not something that they have that much experience in. Like they're they're you know what I mean they're they're younger vets, and so you know for Pascal and Freddie they came into a really, you know, veteran laden team from the beginning. Like um, it was Kyle and Demar doing all the leading, you know, and they were very strong, they were very solid. And then obviously Kawhi leaves, um, or, or or Demar leaves for Kawhi. Kawhi comes in, he wasn't really doing any of that you know vocal leadership. I mean, come on, man. Um, and then, you know, Kyle was sort of like really surly in the media for a long time. You remember that. And also definitely, I'm sure, surly behind the scenes too, but, you know, still really consummate pro. So, you know, he was actually still doing really well, but even he, that even lasted until like, remember, you remember like, um, February-ish, like the, that Masai and, and, and Kyle had to have a sit down and, you know, really hash it out. Like, Hey, do you want to be part of this? Cause there's a championship available here. And if you're not part of this, we can expand this trade with Memphis and we're getting Marcus on anyway. They got other point guards there. Like a Mike Conley, maybe we kind of go in that direction, but you know, even just having to hammer that out, ultimately, obviously that got solved. And then the, the, the championship was the championship. Everything's beautiful about that. But like, you know, even in those teams, right, you still had Kyle, you still had Serge, you still had Danny, you still had Mark or, you know, like these guys are there to, to, to lead 
in a way that I don't think the younger guys had to. And then after those guys were gone, you still had some of those, obviously Kawhi left and Danny left at the same time, but you still had Mark and Serge, you still had Kyle. Kyle, I think, had really not just mellowed out, but I think the championship really, like, turned him from, like, a guy who, you know, was kind of, like, that can be a little times prickly, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, to, like, a guy who just was, like, a, I don't know, he just had, he just seemed so much calmer and happier and, 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 and mellowed out. Again, I don't know Kyle personally, so I cannot speak to his personality. I'm just saying the perception of it. It's just he was so much, like, involved with the young guys and, and very, very generous, and he became this sort of, like, sage figure, especially with his career, essentially completed with the title. Obviously, he's still playing and he's chasing more, but you know what I mean? Like, he, he had reached the pinnacle, and, you, and I think that did kind of, like, you know, mellow him out in that way. Um, and so they were leading, and then Kyle ultimately leaves in, in Tampa. And then last season was so chaotic. Half the time, the arenas were empty. Half the times, you know, a lot of guys couldn't cross the border. It was just an odd scenario. Fred kind of, well, Fred was leading, and then Pascal was there too. But even midseason, they brought in Thad. And that was their first time around being, quote-unquote, leaders of the team. And then this past season, it was kind of the same deal. Masai even talked about it, like, you know, these guys are going to have to step up in terms of leadership. And he's talking about, you know, Fred and Pascal. He even talked about OG. I suppose OG's just never really going to be in that mix. Um, you know, but everyone seems to like OG. Everyone likes OG as a person. But I don't think OG's going to be one of those types that steps, you know, steps up in the locker room and speaks and yells at everybody. But that'd be fairly jarring. Like, it's hard to even imagine a guy like OG doing that. Um but yeah, regardless, like, you know, you, you, you have that situation. And so, like, I, I think it's not surprising to me that the veterans would struggle leading a group in that, in that same way. I think at the same time, it's, not, it's probably not a surprise to me that, like, some of the younger guys struggle to see why they should be led by, um, by some of these vets. And I think part of it is, you know, everybody has, I mean, I mean like, you could say everyone has an agenda. Like, everyone's here to, to, to play, um, you know, not for themselves first and foremost, but like it's, it'd be ridiculous to say that's not a huge part of it, right? Like everybody talked about their goals coming into the season. Um, and, and some of those could be like quote unquote team oriented goals. Like, Oh, I want to be on the all defensive team or I want to one defensive player. Of the year. Those are more team oriented goals. Cause realistically you can't be selfish on defense unless I guess you're gambling for steals. But I think nowadays voters are so savvy with how they vote for defensive player of the year that they're not going to vote a guy just cause he led the league in steals, for example. Right. Regardless. Um, you know, you have this situation where, you know, a lot of young guys are looking for the next contract or like, you know, Gary's coming into a contract year, getting benched twice in that contract year uh, and therefore having a, a hand to play in the fact that his season wasn't as strong as the last one. I'm sure he wasn't happy about that. I mean, anybody wouldn't be happy about that, right? Coming into a contract year like that. Fred coming into the contract year, told right at the beginning. And honestly, the told part, I think, was or the way it was communicated, I think, to me, was was also an important part because I remember even talking to Fred about it um, in a scrum setting once. And I was asked him like, you know, um, you know, how have you transitioned to playing off ball? And he gave me this long answer. And then afterwards I asked him like, how did the coaching staff communicate this to you or the front office? And he, and he was like, they basically didn't, but I was able to sort of read in between the lines and got the hint. And to me, that's like, that sounds like a communication breakdown. Like you, I mean, more than anything else, like Fred's been in your building for seven years. You've seen him grow from undrafted to an all-star a champion, all that kind of stuff. If you don't have a strong enough relationship at that point to tell them explicitly, like, hey, you know, I know this is going to be a big deal for you, but we need you to do this, this, and this differently from last year, where you had the most personal success of your career going to the All-Star game, um, you got to communicate some of those role changes. His stats took a, took a dip going into the contract year. It's tough for him to sort of um, see that. I think also at the same time, when he took, I think the timing of it is important too, because at the start of the, because it really was only at the start of the year, maybe like a month or so, when he really took a step back and like let other guys, you know, uh, drive the car essentially, right? But like at the same time, aside from Pascal, no, the other guys stepping up just weren't really taking that opportunity and it wasn't leading to wins. Like, for example, at the start of the season, OG was taking more of a noted approach on offense. Like it was pretty prominent. He was, he was choosing his spots a lot more. Um, I wouldn't say he was like running pick and rolls and controlling all the action, but every time the ball swung to him, there was an extra beat that he would hold on to it or he'll try to look for driving. And I think that the drives were probably the worst part of it because I saw a graphic that came out. It was like, okay, among the players, 108 players who drove the most this season, OG was last in the league at like turnover percentage at like 10%. And like, it was like, okay, well, obviously, you know, OG is dribbling and that kind of stuff. I've talked about it in the program. Everyone can sort of see Raptors games. They've seen it as well. Um, but like, 
at the start of the season, it was like 16%. I remember putting out a, a thread about this like two weeks into the season, being like, hey, Fred's taking a step back. They're definitely going with more of the wings creating the offense. First off, it seemed like OG was taking more of those reps than Fred, but OG was turning the ball over on 16% of his drives. And it was like, that's not sustainable. That's like, again, like a good turnover percentage on a drive should be like three to 4%, maybe 5%. You know what I mean? Like, again, like that's what you would, like Fred, for example, will turn over like 4% of his drives or like DeMar in the past, you know, very low turnover percentage. To go from like four to like 16, it just wasn't really working well in terms of like correlating to team success or making the offense better. I also think that there was a lot of moments where it was like, okay, well, the opportunity is there for Scotty. Is he going to take them on? And especially when Patrick Pascal went down, those opportunities weren't taken on. In fact, it felt very much like there's now just a very much a gap and a void because he wasn't either able to step into that situation at that time. You might say there might be some injury issues at that time. Um, not might be. I, I think there were some minor injury issues at that time. He was still playing, but he was playing through it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, but like, it was such a big void that it was like, all right, what's, what are people going to do? OG's not really doing much with the extra opportunity. And Scotty's not even taking those extra opportunities for one reason or another. So then Fred's like, you know what? I will take this back and I will run the show again. Now, of course, him running the show, is, there's a limited ceiling. We know we all know that as players. But regardless, you can see how these dynamics started to play on. The, the team expectations were all different for each player. Precious coming into the year, probably expected a lot. Last season, he started half the games, came off the bench, but was really, really successful in both kind of roles, especially as the season went on. He grew, grew stronger and stronger. In the playoffs, he was playing like 25, 26 minutes a game, being your primary and beating defender, which honestly sounds kind of wild. But Precious was doing so well, he could do all that kind of stuff at the, at the end of last season. Coming to this season honestly probably was like the worst rotation player who got significant minutes right in terms of just like his productivity is poor his reads were poor defensively seemed like it even dropped off as well the intensity wasn't always there nick called them out that was also a big part of it nick just calling out guys nonstop, calling out all these guys called out scotty called out you know precious called out gary you know just kind of went on and on and on some of the other younger guys i'm sure they weren't even necessarily a factor in all this like you know what i mean like realistically your main rotation is your main rotation but like um, you know, they weren't really involved in this too. So again, you can see how, especially as expectations were higher and higher, like none of it was really working. And you can definitely see these sort of like little fractures come to come in. And look, I mean, obviously if people are going to fracture in certain ways, right? Not, not everyone's going to fall individually, right? They're going to go together as groups, but probably not as the one group, which is what you would need for a successful team. And so, yeah, that part was was missing. And I think that it started becoming made aware to me a lot more around February, around that time, maybe even a little bit earlier than that, maybe January. And I was sort of talking about it on the show at the time. Again, like I didn't want to just be like, hey, sources told me this, this and this, because that to me just sounds so weird. And it's never been something that I've done on the show. Um, but like I've been trying to like essentially say that, like, you know, there's um, just just bad i mean i wouldn't say i think i started saying around december honestly but like there's just the the group was sort of more fractured than you would expect and i don't i don't think nick was doing a great job of handling the personalities i don't think it was strong personalities in the sense that like oh like you know they would be fighting each other or anything like that i just think that like this is what happens when you don't win like you have all these things start to sort of take place because listen it's easy to sacrifice for the team when everyone's winning man everyone was sacrificing the team in 2019 when it's a championship year you know what i mean um but, like, this year, it was pretty clear from the start, like, yo, this team is not really about to do anything here. And so, you know, what are we ultimately doing? And you had all these contract years coming up. It was tough. You also hear, you know, just a lot of players being in trade rumors, cutting up to the trade deadline. So if that's what you're hearing about your status, like, how is that, A, not going to play on you mentally? B, how is that not going to make you feel some kind of way in terms of not necessarily being wanted? And I'm sure these guys weren't having conversations with the front office to be like, hey, are you... Are you being reassured in all of this? So, again, I understand from the the veterans' perspective why, you know, they were, you know, unhappy with the younger guys in terms of how they worked and all that kind of stuff. I think young guys were probably unhappy with the veteran guys. Like, you know, you guys decide how we play and, and, and we're not winning. So what are we doing here? Like, you know, I, I understand all that. I'm sure there's validity on all sides. I definitely don't want to pick a side because I don't – I'm not interested in picking a side. But, like, all this starts starts to happen. And I think for me, it's just, like, the bigger takeaway is just, yo, there's a big lack of leadership, man. For this past season, such a big lack of leadership. And I think, honestly, leadership starts at the top down, right? It's You could say it's like, yo, the players got to, like, manage themselves. But it's like the coach, above all else, their job is to sort of get the group to move t- together and find ways to keep everyone involved, pulling in that right direction. You, you put everyone in the boat, they're rowing in the same direction. And this year, the Raptors were spinning in circles because literally – 
you had the they were, they were you know fa- obviously rolling the opposite directions in, in this analogy um that's on the coach that that is really on the coach and i think you know you even saw with 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 granger's reporting i mean he he put it in the way that it was like what nick wouldn't have minded uh an, an exit in, in february or like was sort of already looking ahead to the future in february this guy literally came out and told us in april that like, yeah, um, I've been here a long time and I got to reevaluate. And by the way, that is not a coincidence that he did that in Philadelphia. Not a coincidence where he ended up. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, imagine it's like, yeah, you don't even have to imagine. There's no analogy needed. That 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 is that that's just that's absurd. That's honestly like that's that's why everybody kind of like got on him because it's like, listen, we we get it. By that point in February or by that point in April, most people I think around the team had gotten who covered the team. I think had gotten pretty good insight in terms of just like what's going on or not even good what's going on but at least like hey there's a problem here right and, and maybe nick won't continue here but like to say it out loud and to ultimately go to that place like that's that's wild that's why you can go back to those episodes i talked about it for like a week straight we even went through this Zapruder film of like question by question who's who's talking to who him being dismisses of, Lin, of of Lindsay the next time she asked him about it too was just again so absurd to me you know what I mean? Like, okay, fine. You're already going to do this thing where you're going to pull, you're, gonna, you're just going to publicly essentially quit. But then you, it, while the season's going on, but then you're going to get mad at the reporter for even asking a follow-up question on a very, very big thing. Ridiculous. Right. So, um, crisis of leadership on that sense. And honestly, like, listen, as much as we want to say it and everybody loves Masai, but like, I think there's a crisis of leadership even at the top. Cause that's what, that's ultimately, again, leadership is at the top. And we saw in, 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 in throughout the season, I think Grange reported it, that, uh, you know, Masai had, you know, the one-on-one meeting with, with Scotty. He had one-on-one meetings with other players as well. But that one, I think, was probably the more memorable ones that we heard about over the course of the year. He talked about it again in this latest article that he wrote. But it's like, you know, for Masai to have to step in and Masai had to step in before the, you know, the February um, trade deadline about, like, sort of shape up or ship out. Like, like honestly... That kind of stuff needs to happen way more often. Not in the sense that you need Masai to coach the team, but like you need him to be a vocal and present part of that leadership. And I think the impression that I get, and I don't know Masai that well personally. Um, and so again, I, that's, um, this is my personal impression, just being around the team, is like you need to be there constantly. You are the boss and your boss needs to be there as much as any the next employee needs to be there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't expect more from the two-way Jeff Down than I would expect from the boss, right? You got to be in that building every single day. Your presence got to be known. And I think Masai even talked about it a little bit after he let go of Nick about how sort of he even openly wondered as part of that press conference, like, do I need to sort of take more of an approach on that? And the conclusion is yes. You know what I mean? Like, ultimately, you could say, you know, the coach is the boss. You could say the veterans are the boss. You could say whatever. You could say you're your own boss because all these guys are essentially like entrepreneurs in that kind of way, right? You're ultimately responsible for yourself. And I really do believe that. It's a personal philosophy for myself. But like, the boss is the boss, right? And so, especially when there's issues, it's got to be around every single day. Like, so um, I think overall, there's just got to be um, that, that's been the biggest focus of the offseason. Like, I honestly, like, Fred moving on is a big thing in terms of as one of your starters, one of your two main creators, he's moved on, right? But, like, um, and, and, of course, you make subsequent roster moves. Dennis comes in. Jalen comes in. You re-sign Yak. Um, you got to make all that work. But I think the biggest thing is sort of just can you solve this leadership issue? Can you get everyone put on the same page, right? And can you communicate to everybody what their roles are, how they can commit to, how they can contribute to winning, how you can make it a more fun place to come to work. Because again, nobody likes to come to this silent workplace where, you know, there's it's just kind of weird and awkward. Um, and 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 get this team back to playing to their potential. Because again, I think that's the disappointing part of last season. They had enough talent to be a top six team in the Eastern Conference, especially adding a solid starting center like Jakob Pernal midway through the season. But they didn't. And that is the big failure from last year. We wasted a year where we had the talent to do something not to win a championship, maybe not even to win a round, but like, do you had enough talent to, if you were cohesive and were able to sort of get the group together to pull in the right way. And I think beyond anything else, it's sort of just like whatever personal issues you got to got, whoever has to step up in the locker room, whoever has to step up in the coaching staff, whoever has to step up in the management side of things, make sure we step up and make focus the, make the focus about winning and making playing as a team again, 
because nobody wants to see a repeat of last year. Nobody, honestly, my, my and, and I talk to these guys, obviously in the interview settings, sometimes even out of the interview settings, um, both execs and, and, and players. Like, I'm saying that, like, with all due respect to you people, you guys aren't even that good to be this dramatic, right? So figure this stuff out. It's, 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 it's pettiness in, in a lot of ways. And honestly, it's, it's, it's below what the organization of the sta- uh, have, has been set by the standard, uh, by, by this, by this, by this team over the last decade. Uh, we've seen a lot of good things. And uh, even just reading that Grange report, obviously a lot of it, um, I had, um, already, uh, heard of or you know i can't again i can't fully substantiate it in the way that i wanted to in the sense of talking to both parties directly about it um and getting their permission to even share that so without that i obviously i can't do that myself but to hear that reporting from grange to read it again it just kind of my overall feeling uh was just like what a waste like what a waste and really what was the real issues here man like what why were there really really unsolvable issues because otherwise to me it just felt like you guys didn't play up to up to your potential and i think that there's I don't know. Nothing really annoys me more in life, you know what I mean, than things being what they much less than what they could be. And again, I didn't even think the Raptors were going to be this, you know, phenomenal title contender team last year. Nobody would, but they had a lot more talent than what their record showed, and they just couldn't get it together. And so that what I mean, obviously, there's going to be a big emphasis in terms of what Darko can do in that front. It's going to be a big emphasis of who the new locker room leader is going to be. Right. Is Yak going to do a little bit of that? He talked about that at the press conference. He kind of said, that's not really my role. I get it. I totally get it. Right. But like Pascal, you know, that's not necessarily his vibe as well. So who's going to who is it going to be? Is it going to be is it going to be Scotty then? Because like realistically, it can't be nobody. OG refuses to do this, essentially. Um, So, you know, that's got to come on stronger. And that's why I think the coach has got to be there more. And honestly, like Masai's got to be stronger with his voice, too. It just has to be. It just has to be. There can't be these like one-on-one meetings. You know, even that one-on-one meeting, like, so that was before the Brooklyn game, and that was after the New Orleans Pelicans game where they got they gave up like forty points in the first quarter or whatever, um, and then I think what the one of the officials forgot how many technical fouls was on Fred, so he accidentally ejected him. He wanted to give him like a the first tech, which obviously we know was less severe than the second tech. He kind of forgot that he was the first tech and ejected Fred to start the fourth the second half, whatever. Th- that's already a horrible look for Fred and also a horrible look for the official there. But like it, after that game, there was sort of like Masai made that trip to to Brooklyn. He wasn't on that road trip, which first off, why weren't you on the road trip? Right? This is like what, this November? Was it a were, were they scouting college games at that time? No, no, no. Like, so why weren't you on the road trip? Why did you have to make sure to fly out to that road trip to have that meeting with Scotty, right? Like, and 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 how did he respond to that? Um, you know, and and sort of did that message come through? All those things, like, yo, this is this is this is. I'm not saying it's not real life. Like, sure, these things happen in real life, but like for a good strong organization, like you guys should be able to get through these things and solve them rather than getting stuck on these things. So. Yeah, it's disappointing. It really is disappointing. But I mean, that that is sort of the big focus, I think, for me personally. We'll be looking out for a lot more for that this season. Can they be more cohesive? Because again, I think the talent is I mean, again, the talent is not even there to win a first one round. Maybe one round. It depends on like I don't know, maybe they match up with Cleveland or something or New York. I think they could beat those guys in a seven game series if, if things break right. It's more of a fifty fifty proposition. But like okay, you're not gonna be a championship team, but can we at least get back to winning? Can we at least get back to like even the poor Raptor social team or the poor open gym guys, they will never tell you this because they're team employees. And this is not me quoting them and telling them on, on this behalf, but I feel bad for them sometimes. I'm like, yo, you know why you don't have less, as much content? Because there's no, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the, the vibes weren't good enough for content, especially in that of that nature, right? So, guys, let, let's let's get on the same page. Let's solve these things. I'm hoping against all things that Darko can really get the group to play together again. Masai can get these group to play together again. And yes, even if it's not a, 60 win team even if it's not like a championship contender can we at least get solid production out of everybody who understands their role who's able to get along who's able to develop who's able to reach their goals who's able to cheer for each other all that kind of stuff let's just please 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 make that happen so yeah that's that's what i wanted to say on the subject um again go read grant just reporting on this he's been really great about it and yeah the Jakob, the, the, the pascal trades all that kind of, i mean i think it's, it's pretty simple for the front office right clearly they're going to they're taking some calls and that's natural. You take some calls. Um, I think that uh, what they need to do is definitely, first off, there's a way you could take these calls, but also be in communication with Pascal's guys to reassure them, like, hey, um, 
this is not us shopping you, but teams are calling. It's our job to listen to these calls, but we will keep you abreast of all these developments. You will let you know. Um, and you know, there's a way you can move together. Cause I think the worst thing would be just, and I'm not saying they're doing this, but like the worst thing would be like, Oh, you keep them in the dark. They don't know anything. And you just move forward and you, you, you leave Pascal to worry about this on a human level. That's not a great way to operate. Right. Maybe on an organizational level, that gives you some sort of slight advantage in terms of negotiations. But I don't even think so. Right. That's not worth it to, for me personally. But again, I'm not I don't have the I don't have the guts or the heart to be to do any of this sort of stuff in terms of people management. Um, I think the next thing is you come to Pascal's people and say, listen, we're going to offer you an extension. All right. And Granger reported that they had not talked about an extension yet. I know that to be true as well. They had not they have not come yet to, to talk about an extension. However, you come to the table whether that's in summer league, we'll see if Pascal goes to Vegas, for example, or sometime during the summer, you got lots of time. Um, you go to Pascal's people and say, listen, we're going to offer you, well, listen, none of the trades on the table we liked, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to come to you and say, here's an extension offer. It's for the max. It's not going to be for the super max, right? And will you sign that? Now, I don't think that push comes to shove. My sense of the whole situation is that they would, even entertain, well, not entertain, but like Pascal will literally need to play at an entirely different level for the whole year, this coming, upcoming season for them to be comfortable and happy to give the super max. All right. But the max for what Pascal does absolutely worth it. It's a value contract. I'm not worried about him declining physically. This guy takes great care of his body. Again, I've said it time and time again, the best pro on the team, right? Works out like crazy, trains like crazy, improves every year. I'm not worried about a player like that declining from age 29 to 33. I'm just not. I really am not. I think we see lots of players continue, like Dame Lillard, who we talked about on previous episodes. This guy's coming off a career year at 32. You know what I mean? Like, or like, look at what LeBron's doing. Look at what, you know, like, look at what Steph's doing. Like these, these guys. If you treat, if you, if you, if you train the right way, and I know Pascal does, and you go to this, you can end with current training available and all the medicine all that and and just whatever i don't, I don't know I, I i'm not a doctor or i'm not a physiotherapist all that kind of stuff but you can clearly tell that athletes in general across the board and across different sports and across different you know parts of the world like everybody is getting longer and longer in terms of how their primes can be so i'm not worried about pascal's production or cratering at all during his next max contract so you offer them that in the offseason and honestly, my my guess with this would just be that Pascal would agree to that, or at least they would talk about it. There would be a negotiation. It wouldn't be like a no. It wouldn't be like a, you know, but like you would talk about it and, and I would be very happy with that. I think, you know, that would be a good deal for both sides. I think Pascal has genuine interest in staying in Toronto beyond the fact that it's a supermax thing. It's not just a money thing. I think he really is invested in being here, invested in charitable organizations here, um, and, like, I think for the front office, listen, um, if, it's a, if there's a great move out there, if there's a, a prudent move out there and you want to pivot fully in a, in a, in a, in a, in a uh, rebuild, you know, I, I totally understand. Like, you got to do what you got to do. I, I want them to do that. I, I want them to make the best deals on the table for the Raptors. If there's a knockout deal, go ahead. But please do not take this for granted. We are talking about, A, a very, very good player, very, very productive player. Um, in Pascal Siagam, who is not like an elite number one option, that's fine. How many elite number one options are there out there in this league, right? Is he an elite number two option? I would say yes. His quality is very, very good. And this season sucked for the team as a whole. It sucked, right? But Pascal still had a really strong year despite everything around it being poor. Did anyone have a career year, right? Gary regressed. Scotty stayed the same. Um, Fred had a bad year. Uh, Gary had a bad year, like Precious had a bad year. You're talking about the whole team had a bad year and Prescott was able to maintain. That's actually a good thing, right? Like that actually shows me that it didn't bother him as much or it didn't drag down his level, personal level of play. You have a player who genuinely wants to stay in Toronto. So unless there's a great deal out there, re-sign him, have the conversation. You're not getting the Supermax, that's fine, right? I think everyone, reasonable sides can come around to that idea, right? You you like make sure that extension is done, and you do the probably you probably do the same thing with OG. You really do. His his max is lower because you can't offer him actually the max, but you can offer him the most you possibly can on the extension. It's probably like what starts at twenty six million. It's going to pay him like thirty million dollars a year at certain points of his contract. 
get that thing done with him too. Because otherwise, like, what are we doing here, right? You know, I, for me, after a year like this, I want to secure the things that I feel secure in. I feel secure in knowing that Pascal is going to be working really hard over the life of his contract, who's going to be playing really, really at an all-star level on the course of his contract. And, you know, you just get that thing done. But again, like, you know, who knows? Bobby MSI were at the press conference too, by the way. They were just sort of standing in the back. I, as I understand it, the team as a whole, including Yak and Jalen, are going to be going on a flight from Vegas, or Toronto to Vegas. Um, obviously, they already have Darko down there and some of the coaches and the summer league rosters down there. Some of the other Raptors media people are down there too. That's probably why the press conferences were short. It's like we literally had like four actual reporters in there. But um yeah, like you're, you're, you know, they, you know, they're, they're, they were in the building. Management was in the building. They just didn't get out to the mic to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's just all kind of messy right now. A lot of um, uh, uncertainties, but uh, you know, um, for now, I suppose I could see a way forward. I could definitely see a way forward. I just want them to, to sort of see it as well and execute it. So that does for the podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, for me, the next episode is going to be. Uh, out on Sunday. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be away for Friday and Saturday. Uh, And then, so that means I won't be able to cover the Raptors first summer league game. Typically I will do uh, post game reaction podcasts of the summer league games. However, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be like working on Friday. So there's nothing I can do about that. So apologies in advance. There's no reaction podcast to how DJ hog did um, in game one, but game two, I will physically be there in Vegas. That's my current plan. Fly out in the morning and, and from Toronto to Vegas and catch their game. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. my first ever time um, being in Vegas to to sort of uh, be part of the Summer League experience. Um, not totally sure what to expect, but I have a lot of, uh, you know, meetings that I've tried to line up or dinners and, and um, just, just trying to get to meet people, but also trying to cover the team a little bit more in a more looser, more relaxed setting Um get to know some of the younger players as well hopefully talk to some coaches maybe even talk to some executives down there and and try to bring you content but more than anything else like yeah the next episode will be on sunday uh, i'll do a reaction podcast after the raptors play their second preseason game and so you know for now thanks everyone for listening thanks to raptors pr for setting up both Jalen mcdaniels and also yaka for the interview and uh yeah next time i'll, uh, I'll catch you in vegas